Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Snow Walker's Son by Catherine Fisher. Appropriate because... Caw! For Seattle. I was going to do like a whoosh. Caw! (laughs) Very appropriate because for Seattle, it's currently quite cold. Um, It's been dipping into like the teens, 20s, uh, which is uncommon for January. Usually we stay at a nice uh, 40 degrees and misting. Yeah. Anyone who... if. Do you not like extreme weather? (laughs) You should live in the Pacific Northwest because most of the time it is very chill. Yeah. This book was published in 1993. We meant to do this as our December episode in honor of the holidays. But you know what? This is much more of a January book than a December book, I feel. Yeah. um, Because it's about the inevitability and endlessness of winter. Yeah. Among other things. Um, and the fact that Winter is a witch. Mm-hmm. Just a white witch. Yep. <laughs> a common theme. So thanks to y'all for putting up with our schedule being even more all over the place than usual lately. We appreciate you. The Snowwalker Sun is the first book in what is now packaged as Snowwalker, which is a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was origin- They were originally published separately and sequentially. Um, in the UK, the author, Catherine Fisher, is Welsh, and then were later combined into this omnibus. And we only cover the Snowwalker Sun because we're tired. I'll leave it at that. And it, it was a pretty quick read. Like, if, if we had our stuff more together, we probably could have done all yeah, three. Yeah, we could have done all three for but sure. But I'm glad we just did one. Yeah, you know, keep it simple, stupid. That's what I say to myself every day. <laughs> In the mirror. <laughs> Some people have their morning affirmations. Simple, stupid. I make just locked eye contact. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Kiss, kiss, yes. <laughs> okay. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover, so if you haven't read this one before or want to refresh your memory, scamper along, check it out. I don't think it's possible to find as a single book at this point. I think you got to grab the trilogy, but it does seem pretty widely available. And it's like uh, segmented into three books in it still. Yeah. So you too, if you want to be tired like us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just read the first third. We will describe how the publisher chose to package and promote the book first. So we have this set that is Madeline's childhood copy. I think this must have been published. Let's see. This this is a very nice printing. It has the feathered edges. I love that book. Parchmenty approach. I think it's so cool. And it has a nice book jacket that you could take off. And then the book itself looks very magical. This was published in 2004 in the U.S., this collection. Um, So this is one that you would have had when you were like end of middle school. 14. Yeah. And this collection, um, I think it's interesting because it's the beginning of a shift in fantasy cover design, I would say, where we're starting to move toward what is more popular today Mm. with a sleeker, more designed, less, 
you know, cool painting of a moment from the story mm-hmm. and more like beautiful ladies' eyes silhouetted behind a cold, wintry town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not actually a moment from the book, but it's displaying key themes and also trying to entice you. The eyes are on the back as well. <laughs> I it's It's a vibe. I do have a quibble right here. They say again and again, her eyes have no color. They don't say her irises have no color. They say her eyes have no color. And they say this about both Garund. Gudrun. Gudrun, I think we decided. Gudrun. <laughs> You're going to have to bear with our pronunciations as always, but bear a little harder this time. Gudrun, the ice witch, and then also her son, Kari. I pictured them as totally blank eyes. Me too. Right? Yeah. That's correct. If <laughs> We're right. Here's here's my already Baldur's Gate 3 reference. Oh my God. If you've played it. <laughs> Not I, even out of the intro. <laughs> I imagined her looking like Orin, who has, yeah, just completely like milky white eyes. Well, I couldn't stop thinking of the fierce deity mask from... Uh, yeah. Here's the kingdom. So I just kept picturing Link with his little white hair and empty eyes and face tattoos. What game is Fierce Deity originally? Is that from? Um, it's from Majora's yeah, Mask. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I don't like that. Um, but it is unsettling to look like she has cat eyes, basically, because there's just narrow vertical pupils and, and nothing else. And a, a very thin brow. <laughs> Yes, yeah, she's got those Highly 90 plugged. brows, yeah. 90s brows. Um, plugged. And just looking at it now, I realize she probably has um, the slitted eyes, the slitted pupils. Like a snake. Like a snake. You're right. She says she serves the It's all that snake, snake imagery. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So I think this cover is pretty good. I like this cover. I uh, can't help but prefer the older versions of the cover that have a very 80s looking snowy castle towering up into the night sky. And it's a um, Dutch angle also. So everything's just like, whoa. (laughs) Uh, We love Dutch angles. (laughs) Um, but, But this one's very pretty. And I imagine that you as a teen would have been drawn to this like a oh, yeah. moth to a snowy little flame. Absolutely. Yeah. Just just look at that. That has Madeline written all over it. Hot lady, Russian looking snow town. Yeah, mysterious, like beautiful uh Jarl Palace there. Yeah, the building mm. is very cool. Um it has nice Nordic design um and just a touch of mountains looming in the distance. So and it says on the cover, by the best-selling author of The Oracle Betrayed, which is the first one I read by her, and I loved that book. Mm. I, we should do it sometime. I have that um, as well. Yeah, I'm new to Catherine Fisher. I had never read anything by her, but she's pretty prolific. She and has, I like her writing a lot. Her writing is beautiful. It's yeah, very she, captivating. She is a poet as well as a children's prose uh, writer, which okay. I think is, I think comes across, um, especially in the little chapter epigraphs headings. that yeah. are at the introduction to each chapter. Uh-huh. I thought that the it it felt like that was that they're all from some kind of like broader text that the peoples described in this book have as like a longstanding mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Something like uh, 
Beowulf, um, some sort of epic saga. It's like but when they were all really, really beautifully written. Yeah, it's like when you're playing a video game and then you can pick up like a book that you find and read it and then you get extra lore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I always, always do. And it's been kind of hard watching my husband play video games sometimes because he same. doesn't do that. Yeah. And he skips through dialogue also, which drives me crazy. Yep, same. <laughs> Husbands, don't get it. We said it here first. So with that, let's move into our plot summary. Yes. Courtesy of Madeline. You're welcome. <laughs> so when we start the book, we're with Jessa. Uh, she, I think the entire book is her point of view. Mm-hmm. Um and she has been summoned to the Jarl's Hold uh, along with her cousin. It kind of seemed like he... Cousin in quotation marks? He like lives separately from her, but they definitely grew up together. Mm-hmm. Um, but both their dads were murdered for rising up against the current Jarl. So they were just kind of being raised by other people in their town. Yeah, because they're like the children of, uh, you know, revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like, basically, they're being kept in check. Um, And there's also a false chief on the throne. Yes. he. uh, So the proper chief is supposed to be Wolfgar. He's the one, you know, he's descended from the wolf somethings. (laughs) The wolf butts. (laughs) And so rightly he should be Jarl. And so uh, Jessa and Thorkil's fathers tried to um, unseat the pretender and put Wolfgar on the throne and they got caught and killed. Um, And the current Jarl is also incredibly clearly under the thrall of a terrifying witch named Gudrun. Who is also his wife. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And when Jessa is called to see him, because it's the situation where basically they're getting old enough where the Jarl or Gudrun rather uh, feels that they need to like be dealt with in Mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. And he tells Jessa that she's going to live in Thracer's Hall, uh, which is a very, very far north, um, you know, it's kind of like a bombed out ruin. Uh, And uh, Jessa knows because of gossip that that's where uh, the son of the Jarl and Gudrun lives who there's lots of rumors about is like a horrifying monster, evil, like all messed up in some way. So everyone's really afraid of him. But what they know for certain is that after being kept like in prison, basically in the dungeon for a number of years, uh, Gudrun eventually had him sent to Thracer's Hall uh, or rather Brokale came and got him. I don't totally understand like why Brokale was allowed to get Kari and take him under up there. Mm. But at the very beginning, we get a little chapter um, where like a man comes and takes a bundle from the dungeon and mm-hmm. is like, I'll keep Gudrun's secret better than she has. I loved that <laughs> scene, by the way. Yeah, no, it, it was, was great. so <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But I, this book has such good menace mm-hmm. and... It, it really rises as the book continues. Yeah. Yeah. Very well executed vibes. Um, 
And Thorkel's going to go to, you know, like I said, they're the children of revolutionaries, so they want to get rid of them. And before they leave, Jessa and Thorkel uh, end up sneaking around and hearing Gudrun and her, um, I don't know, friend from the north. She has a sort of... Gratier? Yeah, he's he's a dwarf, and he is like her right hand guy. Yeah, who's just kind of always lingering nearby and scheming with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he tells her like, "Hey, the Jarl gave them this message to Brokeal that says that Gudrun is coming." Um, and uh, Gudrun is like, "Yeah, whatever. That doesn't matter." And so. Uh, like the next day, they actually go to an audience with Gudrun and the the fake Jarl, and Gudrun gives Thorkel and Jessa these silver armbands. Um, Jessa doesn't put hers on because she's smart, and Thorkel immediately puts his on. Uh, and they've been told, like they know that Gudrun is gonna quote unquote have their ha- have her hand on them. Yeah, look for a way to see them and potentially control them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but they leave from there, and they're they-, they they also sorry I have to say they're also told don't drink anything she gives you, and then she immediately gives them goblets and they drink. <laughs> yeah, they slam those goblets back. Yeah, no, yeah, I was like, well, okay, but uh, yeah, but get ready for the snake armband to be the most annoying part of this book. Yeah. yeah. So from there, they set sail. Uh, the captain's name is Helgi, and then there's a crew of men. Uh, they have a harrowing journey, and uh, I've never, like, this book really makes you feel cold. Mm. Um, and I just kept thinking about how easy it is for hypothermia to kill you, like, very quickly if there's cold water involved, mm-hmm. um, because there's, like, a horrible storm on the ship where they're, like, bailing water in the freezing so cold. Wet. And, like, yeah, the whole time, like, at one point, uh, Jessa gets a huge blanket thrown over her, over her wet clothes, and I'm like, I'm not going to get the clothes off. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, not going to help. Um, but an important spot on the journey is when they put into port at kind of a culture and market hub. Um, and Jessa encounters a peddler who is very mysterious. She saw him at the palace oh, at the before they feast. left. Yeah. Um, right when the fire went out and wolf. Wolfgar. Oh yeah, because escaped. they had Wolfgar as a prisoner who was yeah. brought up like during that, um, and he's very like cavalier about it, very confident. And I thought he was about to get executed, but then the fire goes all crazy and uh, he escapes. So the peddler was the one who threw the like smoke bomb, the right in herb the bundle into the fire, which Jessa then. Get grabbed right she grabbed some memento and then she shows it to the peddler when she sees him at the market yeah um, like oh good eye <laughs> yeah and she's like we need to run away will you help us run away and he's very like about it and says like no you need to go but i promise the next time you see me you'll understand everything um so jessa goes along with that she doesn't really have a choice anyways mm-hmm. like and then from there i think that's that's when the storm is, when they get back on the boat. Um, and they encounter, like, a few uh, towns, which are all supposed to be under the Jarl's control. But as they get farther away, the towns are less and less uh, compliant with that. And the last one they come to before going to Thresser's Hall is uh, 
there's a rune witch there. So her magic comes from a more um, like traditional human Norse mythology mm-hmm. type place as opposed to Gudrun's, which is much more like it's higher up. Basically, it's more mysterious. And yeah, kind of alien, like not of mm-hmm. their world, whereas yeah. the rune magic is very nature focused. of the earth, yeah. Um, and uh, she talks to Jessa, tells her she doesn't know what's at the hall um, but that she, like, protects this little town from Gudrun. And she says, we'll free you, but we're going to have to kill the captain and the crew because, like, they'll, you know, Gudrun will find out what happened from them. Mm-hmm. And Jessa decides that she's not okay with that. Um, she doesn't want them all to die. And so the rune witch is like, all right, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they set up, they keep going north. Um, it just slogging through snow, barely any idea where they're going. The captain is determined to deliver, uh, Jessa and Thorkiel. Um, important note during the storm, Jessa like deliriously whips her silver armband into the ocean, mm-hmm. which was a great idea. Mm-hmm. Good job, Jessa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Thorkiel is still wearing her, his, and when Jessa asks him about it, he's like, well, it's valuable. <laughs> I know. I love that he's characterized throughout the book as like a boy who likes fancy things. <laughs> Therefore, he won't take off his silver armband. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. So he's still wearing his. They set off up north. Um, along the way, the men try to mutiny um, because they feel like they don't know where they're going. They don't care about these kids. There's a creeping sense of dread. They don't want to go to this fortress and they're where terrified there's probably of, a monster right. inside based on everything they've heard. Right, exactly. Um, and they're like, it wouldn't be surprising if the two young people we were supposed to take went missing in a storm. Mm-hmm, so yeah. they're threatening to kill them as well. Yeah. Um, but eventually they do get close enough to the hall, like during that mad dash away from the men where then it becomes kind of moot, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, the hall's there. Let's take men. Um, it is a imposing ruin, uh, made of, I think the word is broken towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very fun to imagine mm-hmm. what it would look like. And it's like sprawling and massive. Um, and somehow they find the door behind which, uh, Brokeel is living. Um, there's like warmth and food back there. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, how are they going to find, like, this is massive. Like, there's no way people are living the whole thing. They're going right. to be in a very small portion of it. Right. Like, how are they going to find them? Yeah. They hit on the right spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Brokeel's there. He's a great big man with red hair and beard. Um, and he's like, Jessa, you're late. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so right away, you are like, okay, so this is different than we expected. Obviously, mm-hmm. Gudrun is lying. And you kind of know that from the beginning. Like, there's no way that it's actually just, like, you know, some sort of horrifying monster yeah. playing it around up there. And I think just logically with the hold that she has over everyone around her, why would, it, if there was a monster, it seems like she would want to keep it closed and like use it to or just attack kill it. her foes or dispose of it. Yeah. So clearly mm-hmm. her son is different from her in a way that she 
can't grapple with. Mm-hmm. So she hid him away. Yeah. So they go to bed, basically. The uh, captain and crew leave. They get their little sleeping cubbies. Um, they get food. And over the next few like weeks, I think, mm-hmm. they're kind of just creeping around. Um, they don't see uh, Kari. And uh, Brokale just kind of tells them, like, well, I mean, you won't see him for now. Mm-hmm. You're afraid of him. And, uh, like... He's afraid of you. Yeah. And they keep trying to find him because mm-hmm. they, like, at this point, they're like, I just have to know. Yeah. Like, we just got to get it over with. Yeah. Um, sometimes they see, like, a figure moving across the courtyard or something. And they're, while they're looking for him one day, a door appears in the hallway that we're in, that they're in and they go through the door um, because Kari is a very powerful magic user like Gudrun. And he is in there and he shows them his face and they see that he's uh, a boy and uh, is unremarkable except for the fact that he has Gudrun's face and hair. <laughs> yeah, it looks exactly like his Yeah, mama. and then instantly that kind of like clicks for yeah. them what's going on here yeah at, at some point i don't know if it's kari or brocale that tells them um that there was like a prophecy that she'll be destroyed by her mirror mm-hmm. um, by her reflection mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so they're like well kari looks like her mm-hmm. and kari tells them like okay here's why i revealed myself to you look in this mirror and at first they're like oh god he's insane <laughs> and <laughs> He's like, I'm not saying look in the mirror. It's, it's magic. It's a, it's a very cute moment because he's both being like, look at what I've been hiding from you. And he shows them the beautiful little wooden chess pieces he's carved yeah. and these little glass mobiles and little swirls that he draws on the wall. Spirals. I did. Spirals. I couldn't help but think of the spiral. spiral. Curse of the spiral. Babe, the babe trends know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, he's just like making his own little creative world Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because he's been there for years and he doesn't have anything to do except like see things from afar Mm -hmm. and hang out um so what he shows them in his mirror is that the jarl is dead uh, or the pretend jarl and uh, that's immediately when they're like okay things are now very serious and we have to get out of here very quickly um, because they're like, as soon as the girl is dead, like she's going to kill all three of us, mm-hmm. um, to just like wipe the slate. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel, I, at some point, Kari, like they're getting ready and Kari shows them another vision or he has a vision and he's like, oh man, she sent men after us like days before mm-hmm. the girl died. Mm-hmm. So they're actually they're close. very close. Um, so they, just get all their stuff together and they start running through the snow um, away from the men. And uh, during this time, so Brokale tells them like, you know, we've got a plan going here. We're supposed to meet at this hall and uh, like, we'll see the others there and we don't find out who the others are yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a mad dash to get there. And during their dashings, uh, Thorkill becomes like you, you get all of this evidence now that he is basically a thrall because of the, uh, armband. It won't come off. It's like glued into his skin and they find out that he's been like dropping little pieces of cloth mm-hmm. to help the men like come after them and find them. Cause mm-hmm. they're really not very far behind. Like you really feel the desperation during their chase and then once um, he tr- like sees one of the men and tries to flag him down, 
um, and like call him to them, uh, which Jessa witnesses. And that's when like finally, <laughs> finally she's like, oh, <laughs> I think that that armband, I think he might be. <laughs> but then she still doesn't even say anything about it to the others. And his armband isn't removed until he tries to attack Kari. Yeah, he like slices Kari's chest mm-hmm. before they like wrestle him down. And that's when they like manage to cut off the armband and it leaves like a a creepy little worm inside it yeah yeah and it all like like you know curls up on itself it's very creepy Mm -hmm. um and then Thorke like doesn't remember anything so they just they're like well okay he's fine now (laughs) don't tell him that he almost got them all killed (laughs) that stupid armband yeah um and eventually they reach the hall so they have Wolfgar and the Scald with them. Um, the Scald ends up telling uh, them that he was Wolfgar's father's bard. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, turns out he's a very important figure in all of this. Uh, and yeah, they have Wolfgar with them as well, who they're trying to get on the throne because mm-hmm. he's supposed to be the rightful Jarl. Um, and... Uh, By this time, there's not a lot of book left. Yeah, so they they are they return. Mm-hmm. They go back ultimately to, to the Jarl's hold, mm-hmm. yeah. and they uh, come up across other people who are loyal to the rightful chief mm-hmm. throughout. They get help. Yeah, um, they're also like constantly and narrowly missing Gudrun's men. Um, and, you know, just kind of like barely scraping by Kari also realizes more and more about his magic throughout mm-hmm. and yeah. his natural potential. Yeah. And that he's actually like wildly powerful. Yeah. And like everyone, including him, starts to realize, okay, I really can be a worthy foe to Gudrun and maybe mm-hmm. we can enact some kind of change here. Yeah. Um, so they finally get to where Gudrun is. She's at the Jarl's hold. Um, and there's not a super long confrontation, uh, but it is very, um, direct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he gets in, it's him and Jessa. It's Kari and Jessa. Yeah. Yeah. Kari and Jessa and Gudrun is there doing her little, you know, like villain cackle, um, and uh, prepared to defeat him. Um, and he uses his own magic to kind of make her freak out, um, which is gratifying. Uh, he doesn't like Emperor Palpatine, um, lightning style pain. Yeah. 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 Um, and they kind of go back and forth. She tells him that she serves a great white serpent whose hall is far, far in the mm-hmm. north. Um, and, like, that's where her power comes from. Um, but he's still able to be a match for her, like mm-hmm. a worthy opponent. And he tells her, um, like, after kind of bringing her down with his own magic a bit, like, your reign is over. There's two of us now. There's not just you who can, who is more powerful than everyone else who can control everyone. Um and she gives up a lot easier than I thought she would. First, she, like, fills the hall with smoke and fire um, because uh, she pulls a, like, dagger out of a portal mm-hmm. because she's like, the serpent strikes. <laughs> I do need to find a way to work that phrase into my everyday life. 
<laughs> Maybe I should make it my work email signature. The serpent's With this, the serpent's <laughs> And people would read my emails a little more carefully then. Well, they'd still have to get to the end of the email. I know. <laughs> they never even it. see it. Yeah, yeah. I think people read the first two lines of my email. Okay. They're like, Maybe okay. it should actually be like the header of every email. <laughs> the serpent's tracks. And a little picture of my face with a snake tongue coming out of my mouth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's my business. I can do what I want. <laughs> uh, so he like rests the dagger from her and throws it in the fire. And that's what fills the hall with like this, the this horrible smoke snakes. And, and um, then she kind of sets the hall on fire and mm-hmm. all the doors and windows are blocked and they can't get out. Yeah. And then he turns the smoke into... He, like, freezes it. He, he freezes everything. Yeah. yeah. He, he freezes everything so hard um, that it, like, falls to the ground. And somehow Jessa is still alive, uh, despite being in, like, zero degrees Kelvin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and sees, like, Gudrun and her little goblin guy, like, huddled in the middle of the floor. And she... Like pretty quickly, it's like find them out. Mm-hmm. Like you can have this, you can have the curse I had of them never trusting you. And it's like okay, go Drew, like they, well, she's they were, the one who created that reputation. Yeah, like they didn't trust <laughs> you because you did all this evil stuff. It wasn't like and, and like granted, she was a very creepy figure who like appeared during this. It, it they were they were having like a battle to the north, yeah, and it was then like she, a raid, and everyone died. She was the only one who came out. Yeah, and then she just like came back with them, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, I get it. That's concerning. So like, yeah, that's that's creepy. People um, are gonna be afraid, but but then she very obviously just like Saruman all over the place. Yeah, Um, Yeah, people noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, she's the one who created the the poor reputation that they currently share. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I feel like I do want to... And she made everyone think that Kari is a monster. Right, you know, it was a jerk move. So uh, I do want to read the other books to see like how Kari's story turns out. I have a feeling that he doesn't become Gudrun and have the same fear, uh, like people direct at him that they did at her. Probably not. But so then she's just gone. She's gone. And uh, the men outside finally are able to break the door open. They search all over. They can't find Gudrun. Um, we hear a couple days later that there's like a rumor that someone saw a white figure marching North with like a huddled, I don't know, bundle of rags, like limping after her. <laughs> Gratier, what a fun, fun life he has. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Wolfgar takes his rightful place upon the throne. Um, Jessa gets her ancestral hold back, um, which was taken from her at the beginning of the book and given to Gudrun's men. Um, and uh, it then... The book ends. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. abrupt ending, but it I, I do understand why they're packaged as a single tome now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a pretty short book, and in in many of the more epic fantasy novels that we read, um, this would definitely just be the rising action section. Yeah. Um, and there would be quite, quite a bit more book to come. Maybe next time we can do the other two. Yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah. And, and 
moving on from that, I'm curious, all the new impressions, I, I will lead, I had not read this book. <laughs> so Madeline, tell me more about your experience with it. Yeah, I mean, similar to most books that I really liked when I was a kid, I really didn't remember it much. Mm -hmm. um, but I did remember liking it a lot and uh, it being very exciting. Um, I remembered that Gudrun was bad. <laughs> well, not, not hard to figure that yeah, one like, out. Yeah, just look at her face. Um, I do remember when I first read it, I think I was a little confused because I thought that Snow Walker was going to be like the hero. Um, and then you realize pretty quickly that Snow Walker is mm. the, the villain. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't recall having any problems with the character Gudrun because I think Jessa is a pretty fun and like, I don't know, she's easy to latch on to. Like mm -hmm. she's a little bit of a cipher. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I think she's a, a good main character. And I also remembered um, like pretty quickly realizing that there's no way Kari is actually a monster because everyone's like leaning on that so hard mm -hmm. that it was going to be like, you know, mysterious surprise. Yeah. But I still was delighted by the mysterious surprise when I read it this time. <laughs> Yeah, it's so great when it's like, oh, he's like a cute boy. Yeah. <laughs> With the lady's face. Yeah. <laughs> he's a shonen boy. <laughs> and he's just doing arts and crafts in here. And I did, time. I think it helped when I heard the, like, she was, a, like, she was told her uh, reflection or whatever would mm -hmm. be her end. I was like, oh, okay, he looks like Gudrun. Mm -hmm. Um, which also like that would probably freak people out. Like he's not looked, he doesn't look like a monster, but she's a monster. So, you know, <laughs> well, exactly. That's why she has ruined his chances of having any kind of normal life because mm -hmm. I mean, obviously he looks a little different than everybody. There are the eyes without color and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but he could have had a chance to serve as, you know, a benevolent beloved sorcerer to the Jarl, mm -hmm. who he's also now like very clearly aligned with because they came on this quest together after both being exiled from the kingdom. Yeah. Um, but she ruined that for him. Yeah. A lot of people will probably even think that he is her. Right. Since she disappeared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Did you read the whole trilogy when you were yeah. young? Okay. Yeah. You just don't remember. No. Okay. Yeah. Um. And uh, definitely still very annoyed with Thorkel. He is useless. <laughs> you know, he's he's the classic Pippin sort of character where it's like they're bumbling. Only he's not likable at all. <laughs> right. No, there is that, there's that notable like difference. Ambient whining whenever you approach well, him. Well, I appreciated that there was a sort of like sibling relationship pretty central to the book. Yeah. Um, because I mean, obviously here on our sister podcast, we're we into that. sibling projects. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that Jessa is so resolute and brave and strong mm -hmm. in every moment where Thorkel's like, no, wah. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he even gets slapped by the old Jarl at the beginning because when they're told that they're going to stay with Kari mm -hmm. in the Forgotten Hall, Jess is like, okay. And Thorkel's like, no. Yeah, so he slaps him and he's like, take the news as Jessa did. <laughs> 
Um, and I was wondering in some ways, so the, the, the obnoxiousness of the snake arm band, um, it did it pull silly. on me throughout yeah, the book. No, it was same. really ridiculous. Same, yeah. And I, I think we have to allow for some suspension of disbelief because it is an inherently manipulative magical tool. Mm-hmm. So obviously the arm band doesn't want you to talk about it or think about yeah. it. And I'm sure all the characters That's are, fair. you know, and there are moments where, because the whole book is from Jessa's perspective. Oh, oh my God. As she's going to sleep, she has a, you know, nagging thought in the back of her mind, like an anxiety moment that she needs to puzzle through, but then she just falls asleep. Mm -hmm. So she's definitely like trying to get at it, but the armband is like, no, don't think about me. (laughs) Um, I do kind of want a snake armband now. Me too. Yeah. Very cool. (laughs) And it's, it's, as I said, so funny that Thorkel is characterized as like, well, it's a silver armband. I'm not going to get rid of it. Like we need money. And Jess is just like, but it feels evil. (laughs) It's controlling you. Love the moment when she's in a like fevered middle of the sea storm fugue state and, and she somehow it into just the ocean. throws it yeah. into the ocean. Good instincts, Jessa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Thorkel is a really good foil to Jessa because we wouldn't get to see all the moments where she is so bold and such a mm-hmm. great character without his kind of sniveling fear to contrast it. Yeah. Um, so I, I did like that there were, that there was that sibling dynamic there. Yeah. Yeah, and as someone who is completely obsessed with the Snow Queen, the story and the character, yeah. I, I did a little solo Grace So episode on that solo um, Grace a while ago. If you guys want to <laughs> check it out, um, I I get very excited about ice witches, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was no different. I I do think it was. Interesting how mysterious Gudrun still is by the end of the book. We don't really learn almost anything about her. We learn about her as as pertains to her son and the ways in which she is connected to Kari and they're kind of two sides of the same coin. But... It, it, she she's left very vague in a lot of ways. And I thought it was so interesting that she teases that she serves the great snake, um, which I, I looked up his, his name is Jorgmungandr in Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry about that pronunciation. There's a really, really cool depiction of uh, the world snake in mm. the new God of War. Mm. Uh, I, I haven't played either of the new ones, but I watched my husband play the first one and he's in that one a lot. I don't mm. know if he's in the second one, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Plug for those games, I guess. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it, but he, he looks so, so cool and he feels like so imposing. 
Cool. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to go into that more, and I assume that the other books do. This is where we're kind of limiting ourselves by only reading one, but we'll cover the other two, and then we can have kind of a retrospective looking back at how they maybe strengthen the first book, mm-hmm. um, because I'm assuming they probably do. Um, because she, like, foreshadows it. I feel like when she's, like, mm-hmm. in the north, there is a fortress, like, right. full of ice snakes or whatnot. Right, yeah, and she says, you know, I serve that serpent, and Jormungandr is the the serpent that surrounds the earth and mm-hmm. is eating his own tail. He's mm-hmm. an Ouroboros, and when he releases his tail, that will bring Ragnarok, the end of the world with the battle between the gods, um, and then a fresh start. So it's interesting because... Gurund, I got it. Gudrun. I don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) Gurund. Gudrun is so evil. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing redeeming about her. She's clearly not interested in, because with some, you know, like, very heightened magical figures, godlike figures, they are willing to do things that humans might see as harmful and bad in order to like maintain balance or like serve some greater purpose. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel that she's doing that. I feel like she is self-serving. Yeah. And I can't see Jormungandr being an evil force because I think that you know, that type of God at that level is just is like, they just exist. It's it's like elemental basically. Right. Exactly. They don't, they don't have an alignment of any kind. So I thought it was really fascinating that she said that she serves that serpent and also that that serpent is one who is so tied to like a rebirth of the world because it will bring about the end of it so that it can start fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like there were a lot of interesting larger themes there that didn't make sense to me being aligned with Gugunder. I can't say her name. Gugunder? Gudrun. Gudrun. Yeah, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. that I think that is the kind of anachronistic part about... Um, not Gudrun because like she's clearly like a witch and evil, but when she does say like I serve the great ice snake, it's possible it's not supposed to be a direct analog, but it really seems like it is because of the like mythology that you're working with here. And yeah, yeah because Jormungandr isn't usually portrayed as evil. Like we're right, saying he's which... like a very important part of existence mm-hmm. and a very like a force that is not good or evil, exactly. but is more dedicated to like the balance of existence, right? Exactly, it's more druidic and balance. Of. And balance is seen as good, mm-hmm. typically in yeah. folklore and fantasy. So Catherine Fisher is clearly very interested in history, religion. Norse mythology. Um, she also brought in pieces from Viking lore and Beowulf. And maybe that's why I'm struggling to say Gudrun because I want to say Grendel. <laughs> <laughs> because I kept getting Grendel vibes from the descriptions of Kari from the beginning of the book. Mm. And if anyone has read the the book Grendel, um, which is by John Gardner, it's a very, very sad book, but it's 
amazing. And it's a retelling of Beowulf from Grendel's perspective. Um, and he's sort of like an anti-hero and Beowulf is the monster. Um, mm. And Grendel's just trying to like take care of his mom. <laughs> um, what year is it from? Uh, the 70s. It's from 1971. Mm, okay. Um, I, I was thinking about Kari as Grendel, especially because there is a lot of thought of like a child being forced into imprisonment and also being made to see themselves as a monster. Okay. Um, it made me think of like Munchausen's by proxy <laughs> where like Garund is like, there's something wrong with you. Like you have to be hidden away. Garund. Oh my God. <laughs> what is happening to me? Just, trying, it's fine. It's fine. Just I'm trying to get these complex points across. It's, I'm sorry. I'm ruining myself. No, it doesn't matter. Who's Garund? I don't know, man. I can't help you with Did that. Did you one. mean Gerund? <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, at the beginning of the book, when we get the little glimpses at Kari's childhood like early childhood where he literally is in the dungeon yep. in the last room at the end of the row of cells and is just trapped there with the exception of his keeper who comes to bring him food but has had his tongue cut out by Gudrun so he can't even talk to him anyway um, and then he is sent with another like enemy to the throne to go live in exile in the north. And fortunately for Kari, he's with Brockhill, who is like so sweet and so obviously sees Kari as like his son. Yeah. Um, and I really, really appreciated their relationship. Yeah. And they're I like Brookhill a lot. I thought like some of the most striking moments throughout the book were when Kari when we reflect on the fact that like he's seeing the color red for the first time, for example. Yeah. The first time that he sees Thorkill's tunic. Um or he's touching the fur on Jessa's coat and like touching her hair. And she's just realizing that he has had such a limited exposure to anyone or anything in the world um so this all this all made me think of Grendel <laughs> is what I'm getting at um and I I have always loved Grendel as a character and I think it's really cool making this and maybe it's just how I'm interpreting it and maybe Catherine Fisher meant a more straightforward um, version of Beowulf in that, you know, you're in the north and hunting a monster um, in order to, like, protect a society. Um, but it's also inverted because the monster is the good guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's one of those things that's, like, what makes Gudrun very mysterious is because I don't quite understand what her aim is. Um, right. That all goes along with what we were saying about her alignment. She seems to just I be like get doing her evil stuff goal. because. It, it, is it just like the need for total control? I guess maybe. Out of like a sense of her servitude to the ice Could, well, serpent? Because <laughs> to me it seems like um, 
So she's really obsessed with her being the only one this powerful, right? Right, yes. So is that part of the reason why she left the other sorcerers in the far north? Because she wanted interesting. to dominate she wanted her own kingdom, in the world of men? Where there's no question. Yeah, the one time we see her like get really, I, I think like really show much emotion because the rest of the time she's pretty impassive is when the Jarl says to her... Or no, doesn't her dwarf servant say to her, like, there are a few who can match your power. Right. And, and then she, she's like, take it back. And then she's like, there are none who can match my power. And she cold scars the side of his face mm-hmm. as punishment. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing with Kari, too. Why did she have a child? Thank you. This was the next thing I wanted to discuss. Because <laughs> she doesn't, she seems quite powerful enough where she wouldn't, have a baby unless you wanted to. No, exactly. And first of all, I'm amazed that she and the Jarl were ever physical or intimate. Um, <laughs> doesn't seem like that's their relationship. Well, and it also seems But like... also, is he Kari's dad, actually? Oh, or did she just, like, re- reproduce asexually? Th- that's kind <laughs> of something that I got to by the end of the book. I was like, right. I feel like I could see her having a period where she was like, hmm, this could be interesting. And then she shows Kari at the end. She's like, this is great. There's two of us. We can Mm -hmm. work together in forcing our dominion over all living things. Um, So maybe it is a case of her just being really bummed that he didn't turn out the way she wanted but also she like imprisoned him his whole life so I don't know what she expected if she really wanted a willing soldier she should have had him like right under her wing his entire life and things really could have done a better job worked out differently yeah but then I wonder if that's getting at the fact that there is this inherent spark of goodness in Kari Mm. um, and that that was immediately apparent to her uh, even when okay, he was a want him. bebe. Okay. Um, but I also think it's very funny that there are all these stories and even like firsthand tales of everyone who witnessed him being born, being like so horrified. And it's like, mm-hmm. he probably just looked like a cute little normal baby, but with her face, which is like, makes sense. I mean, she's a ice sorceress. <laughs> like, I guess if everyone is like terrified of her, then that would Well, and that's the thing. Too. She's so good at spreading propaganda and misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to those who she doesn't even want to worry about, she cuts their tongues out. Mm-hmm. Um, like she has a whole silent force of servants. So yeah. she definitely as you said, wants complete control over all things, including the narrative. Um, So yeah, that's my hypothesis that Mm -hmm. she thought she could like give herself someone else who would share her cause. She just wasn't excited about how it turned out. But then she went about it in a really bad way. And maybe once she actually gave birth, she realized like, oh, I'm actually introducing a potential enemy for Mm -hmm. myself and the only one who would be as strong. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I also wondered if the thing was going to be like, well, she's keeping him there because she's going to like consume him Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. take his powers and become more powerful. Yeah. Um, But yeah, when he, I was just, I was expecting there to be more of, uh, more revealed, more of a confrontation when he meets up with her at the very end. Um, But I have. I assume that's coming later. Yeah. 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 Right. It's got to be. Yeah. 
She didn't die, so like I'm sure that she's going to pop back up again. The book is called Snow Walker. She's a snow walker. And now I imagine Kari is going to have to grapple with what it is like living in society, which mm-hmm. he's never done, yeah. and seeing the way that people treat him because they're used to Gudrun. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have it up at the you top of my dock now <laughs> so that I can just look at it whenever I have to yeah, say I it. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, <laughs> So maybe he will turn more in the direction of like not wanting to be like her necessarily, but like curious about her and mm-hmm. her master. Yeah. Um, and I know and their that. People. Right. Exactly. They're people. The, the snow walkers. Mm-hmm. Like it's They just whole, say like they're sorcerers that live in the north. Right. But they have a whole crew. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw in Catherine Fisher's description of her inspirations from her website um first of all this is very cute she said uh well she said i'm fascinated by vikings north smith north smith's anglo-saxon poems i also like snow and cold weather generally and arctic exploration and i was like i bet she loved um what was what's that show called that you were obsessed with the terror um the terror (laughs) (laughs) first season she ate it up yes season one only um She said that in the second book, I've leaned heavily on the Beowulf story because Gudrun makes a creature of ice and runes and sends it down to attack her son and his friends. Mm, So then that's like the Grendel figure. And in the third book, the soul thieves, our heroes, have to travel to the land of the Snowwalkers itself, beyond ice and volcanoes, beyond the bottomless chasm at the world's end, over the rainbow bridge to Gudrun's castle. So she's from... Asgard. Like yeah, she's not, I was like, wait, she lives in Asgard? <laughs> right, yeah, she's not of the earth. So um, she's like a god. I think so. And it would make sense because she's serving a god, um, but maybe she's like a little demigod figure. All right, we um, got to read the rest of them, clearly. I don't know, yeah. And talking like a little bit more about magic systems, I do, I like, like we said, that there's that clash of... Gudrun's powers versus the more natural and accessible rune system, mm-hmm. um, which is used kind of, uh, it, it, it's more, it, it's more passive certainly. And it's really just about like drawing from the existing forces to kind of gently suggest that like certain things go your direction Mm -hmm. as opposed to that it's the opposite of that total dominion and control that Gudrun wants um her magic is you know unsurprisingly snow and ice based um (laughs) and then I thought it was really interesting that Kari he has those same skills but then he also has moved more in a natural direction especially with maybe we'll just segue into animals just like animals animals in this book I love the ravens. Ravens, yeah. And those are connected to Odin Odin because Odin has two ravens. One is memory and one is thought. And maybe this has something to do with the ice giants Mm. who are like a really big, important part in Norse mythology and Mm -hmm. play a huge part in Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're coming. Well, because, yeah, I wonder if he's like related to Odin. That would make sense. And if she's related to Odin or like he's Kari's father or something. I don't, we have no idea. We have to read the other books. This could totally be off. You guys like this? Or are we just read? <laughs> well, I don't know. Essentially the first. Shots in the dark. <laughs> third of a book and then just make crazy guesses. 
Dragon Babies Unprepared. <laughs> this is our book report. <laughs> but it's, you know, I like that. That's cool. That's a cool idea. And Kari, he really relies on the ravens, but he's also really taking care of them. Um, he's not controlling them and making them do things. They definitely have a mutually beneficial relationship. And whenever they're resting for a moment on their endless freezing quest, he's always giving them bits of dried meat and things like that. I'm sure, I don't strictly remember, but I'm sure that as a 14-year-old, I was probably obsessed with that dynamic, like having two giant ravens that follow you around and are your buddies. Well, I mean, you can admit that you're obsessed with that dynamic today. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just if I'm talking from like an old and new impression standpoint, both sure. old and new. Uh, I adore corvids, especially crows and ravens, because they are gorgeous birds. I It always... You know, sometimes people are like, wow, Seattle, it's full of crows. And I'm like, that's a good thing that's about Seattle. That's a plus, guys. I love crows. Just look at them. They're magnificent. <laughs> and every time I see a, you know, research shows, just learned this about mm-hmm. crows. Yeah. And it's just completely insane. Yeah. <laughs> It's like crows make puzzles and just, you know, things things that are terrifying, but also incredible. And I don't know if it's crows so much, but ravens can uh, mimic human speech to a wild extent. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. When I was walking your dog, Pig, on Thursday, we were next to the park that's at MLK and Alder. Okay. I don't know what it's called, but that really big park on MLK there. Mm -hmm. Um, And Pig and I were walking down the hill and this old man was walking past us and stopped and was like, do you know what those birds are? And I turned and looked and I was like, yes, they're ravens. And he was like, let me tell you a story. And he told me like a Native American creation myth related to the raven god. (laughs) It was amazing. Pig and I were just like, story time wow and then he was like okay bye i think you may have been visited (laughs) by some sort of messenger (laughs) i think so too (laughs) he also told me that there was a fire in the trash can outside (laughs) his building that morning and that he thought that a raven had dropped a cigarette in there as a little trick oh my gosh (laughs) Wait, you saw ravens, not crows. They were ravens, yeah. You can tell because they're much bigger. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Um, yeah, so maybe I also travel to the spirit realm Yeah. on Thursday with pig. That's very cool. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> it was cool. Um, anyway... <laughs> All of this is to say ravens are very important to us as they are to Kari. And they should be important to you as well. (laughs) Please pay attention. Fix yourself. (laughs) And I I did like that they were really Kari's friends as well as his helpers. And that he he, had some friends. That he had somebody. I mean, Brokale is great, but... I imagine that most of his day-to-day is pretty full with just trying to care for both of them yeah. and have sustenance. Yeah. Um, although they are also brought nicer victuals by um, 
it wasn't by Wolfgar or the peddler, but it was somebody else that they were connected. Or no, was it the peddler that would bring food? I think it's the peddler that okay. it was established that he's, or maybe like Wolfgar's men. I can't remember. Okay. To be a peddler bard, I mean, jealous. I know. <laughs> if I could pick any type of character, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there was like a game I kept seeing on Instagram that was like, which of these fantasy worlds would you rather live in? And then there was that Reddit question that was like, you have to go into the world of the last game you played for one year and live there. Like, how screwed are you? <laughs> And uh, I was just thinking about the way in which when we're reading fantasy, it's it's easy to think of yourself as living there as one of the heroes of the story. Like mm -hmm. you're one of the ones who survives, you win the battles, you get the gold, you get the you happy kiss ending. The princess. You get the princess. Mm -hmm. I want to kiss a princess. Um if she wants to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's, she's got to be into it. <laughs> let's, let's wake her up picturing first. picturing right? <laughs> Just running around, running in and kissing. <laughs> running away. Um, but I would actually much rather be like a side character or someone who's not having to shoulder these wild burdens and go up against impossibly evil forces. Just make sure you don't have any like great loot on you or someone. <laughs> the main character will kill you for it <laughs> yeah, if the main sure. character is me. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, but reading this book and thinking about that, I was just like, I want to be a peddler bard. You get to be like mysterious and sneaky and have small but very important roles in the goings on of the plot. But then you also get to be like winky and funny and have like a little song up your sleeve. <laughs> like, that just sounds like a really ideal D&D um, &D character. I'm actually doing a multi-class bard uh, rogue build in mm. Baldur's Gate right now. And I was it, just, yeah, it, was it just is kind of like that. Bard rogue. Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. Yeah. No, it's great because you can like, you get a lot of really good spells as bard that you can like buff your party or be really annoying to enemies, or you can just like play your musical instrument in the middle of battle, mm -hmm. which does nothing, but you're just like standing there jamming out and <laughs> fighting, which is just so great. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It doesn't give like bardic inspiration. Or there is like bardic inspiration. Mm -hmm. It's literally a move that okay. you can play your instrument to do, but you also have the option to just like play a song on your instrument. <laughs> soundtrack to just start being like yeah da, 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 da. <laughs> can you pick the song uh there's there's like five or six different ones nice. that you can pick from yeah nice. i like to play the like sea shanty one perfect <laughs> perk everyone's spirits up <laughs> speaking of other characters that i would kill if i were a character <laughs> every battle she's just playing her harp she's not helping <laughs> oh, anyway wow um lots to think about here <laughs> so, so since i mentioned feeding scraps of dried meat to crows to ravens pretend food. why don't we get into pretend food hungry book hungry bug 
We have been on such a hungry book streak. I feel like we haven't had some good feasting for a while. Um, Should we do a Redwall book? Yeah, maybe we need to. I've been (laughs) wanting to cover Mossflower, um, and that might be a nice, like, comforting winter read. Um, But, yeah, as Madeline mentioned, this is a cold book as well. Um, People are out trekking through snow. They have minimal scraps of food, and then the cheese even still goes bad after a while. Which was very disturbing to me <laughs> because you figure if it's that cold, the at least it's going to go act bad. as something of a preservative. But no. And if there's one thing I've learned from Alone, no matter how well Alone, the TV show, there, no matter how well you build your little like f- living fish trap next to the lake, a bear is going to get in. A bear it. is going to come and take all your fish in the middle of the night, <laughs> you, my guy. <laughs> you will spend weeks stockpiling fish, and in one swift moment, it will all be taken from you. I think my favorite instance of that in that show is it's like an early to middle season where he kills a moose, um, and then he like makes this wild like up on platforms uh, meat. Yes, Safe. it's it's like four stories tall. Yeah, it's so. I think he learned it from like terrifying to Siberian. Watch. He is the one who people. lived in Siberia. Yeah, yeah. And that then, guy is nuts. And then a wolverine um, yeah. still climbs it and yeah. eats all the fat, and he's really upset about that because that's literally the most important yeah. thing out there. Yeah. And then he finds and kills the wolverine and eats yeah. it, and it's just like, <laughs> like oh my god! <laughs> that season is so insane. Yeah. It's also one where there's such a ringer. Like as soon as it's, you see yeah, everyone, you're like, the okay, well, I know yeah. who's gonna win. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but let's see how it shakes out, yeah. and then you're still surprised when he hunts and kills the wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I know we've been talking about alone um, quite a bit over the last year, but if any of you are looking for something to watch this winter, check it out. It's all on Hulu. Yeah, you can stay inside and watch other people struggle to stay alive. I I have to (laughs) say there isn't anything quite like the feeling of eating your dinner in your nice warm home while you watch someone um, choke down some frogs. (laughs) Or catch mice and suck the meat off their tiny little bones. Kill mice under rock traps. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What a great opening for pretend food. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I, I think Catherine Fisher does a good job with making sustenance important um, and key to the plot. And I don't like journeying books that kind of ignore food um, or just say like they they sat and ate mm-hmm. and went to sleep, um, which some folks do. I get it. We all have different priorities and we're all like looking for certain lengths in terms of what we're talking about. But my fantasy book, you know, is just wall to wall snacks. Um, <laughs> so we get things like smoked meat, dry hard oat cakes, still bannock, meat and bread, um, scraps on the wet shingle for gulls to scream and fight over. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> Every time there is a an alcoholic beverage or something that they're drinking before some kind of like oath, promise, leaving some like important moment, it's, it's bright red liquid. <laughs> it's never described as wine or liquor um, or like some kind of fortified tea 
it, it's always just quote thin red liquid <laughs> and that's what they drink from the enameled cups with uh, Gudrun it's not in front of me now but that's right I can do it now see she has a power over me she doesn't want me to witness her I can't say her name when they are served the cups they have just been told by Mord not to drink anything she gives them Jessa picked at her glove. Thorkel's strange look caught her eye, but they would have to drink it. It was the fairing cup, always drunk before a journey. Do like the concept of a fairing cup. Yeah, um, it's like a cultural thing. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fun. This moment you um, hinted at earlier when you were describing Wolfgar. The prisoner leaned forward and took an apple from the Jarl's table and bit into it. A guard moved, but Ragnar waved him back. I have nothing to say, Wolfgar said, chewing slowly. Nothing that would change things. You're like a dead tree, Ragnar. And it's so badass to um, casually pick up and eat an apple while you're having your final examination before your execution. Um, So as soon as he did that, I was like, rightful chief, right here. Like, no question. (laughs) I I don't need to see anything else. He's got the vibe. So really appreciated the use of that apple in that scene. As we've been mentioning, it's really fascinating how the common fairy trope of don't drink their drink or eat their food or you will be under their full control and Mm -hmm. trapped in their world is so prominent throughout this book. And yet many times over, people do eat and drink things. (laughs) But also people are hungry. Um, I appreciated that as they were heading out from the Jarl's hold, Jess is concerned, and she says to herself, what would they eat at the ruined hall in the mountains? No crops would grow there. No animals would survive. And that is a realistic concern. And then when they get there, part of the kind of magic and mystery and also fear a little bit is that they're like, how do you have goat cheese Mm -hmm. and bread? Like, where is the grain coming from? Where is the milk? Um, and it just adds to the just overall uneasiness, even mm-hmm. though it's a positive thing to have you know, goat cheese and bread. Like, I'm not complaining. But I thought that that was effective scene setting Mysterious as well. magic is intimidating. And this is from the very opening of the book. But I thought that the, the sense of dread was also immediately established when Jessa is entering the Jarl's hall when they're right before they're being banished. Um, and she enters and it looks like there's a feast laid out, but everything is completely frozen. Yeah. Um, so like the wine jug is just full of frozen wine. There is a cup that has been spilled on the ground and the wine is just a hard puddle underneath it. Um, and that was just also really enticing to me as a reader. I was like, who is this cold lady? <laughs> Tell <Yeah>. me more. <laughs> and it, Kari doesn't seem to exude the same kind of cold. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's kind of a magical choice. Totally. That I Gudrun think, is doing. Yeah, I think Gudrun is setting a very different mood yeah. <laughs> than Kari is. Um, I kind of, I like the idea of being able to just gently make everyone around me who I hate a little too cold. Yes. I'm going to start doing that in meetings, <laughs> meetings where everyone's looking at me like, oh, what? I thought you do all the things. I have to do things. 
<laughs> also, just like you looking cruelly out over the table and little ice crystals just starting to form on people's coffees. That would be really great. Wow, it's probably good I don't have that power, honestly. I might abuse it. Yeah, not not a good um, team building function. <laughs> I mean, well, depends on what kind of what team, kind of you're, team trying you're trying to build. <laughs> if it's a team of snowwalkers, you're good. Grittiers. That's right. Um, yeah, so... So limited food, um, I, I think that's that's mostly it. Yeah. Um, just bits and pieces here and there. But I am glad that in the end, Jessa gets her family farm back um, because she does seem to have some happy memories and is like, she's appreciative of what she had, which I also like. Like she acknowledges that she was comfortable and had enough to eat and was safe. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at first I wondered if she was also going to be like a little bit of a like spoiled Richie, the way that Thorkel is. Yeah. Um, But Jess is very good at just kind of existing in the moment. Um, And I also wonder if there's going to be like some, maybe some romance between her and Kari down the line. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely not going to be any romance between her and Thorkel. So they're cousins. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. And also <laughs> Thorkel is just like not interesting. <laughs> no, he's a blundering little fool, Yeah, but we appreciate him. And to his credit, he never like runs away. I mean, he fights in the fights against the big, scary Gudrun men. Um, and he does what he can, especially once his snake bracelet is removed. So Yeah, his strength of personality is just a lot weaker than oh, sure. Jessa's, which also makes sense why he succumbed to mm-hmm. the bracelet versus why she was yeah. able to get hers away. Um, 100%. And then there's that like big sis, little bro dynamic that yeah. is established. No, I definitely don't fact. like dislike him. He's just, you know... He's not that much fun. Yeah, put a tiny bit of respect on Thorkel's name. That's all we have. (laughs) (laughs) So, anything else to mention, or should we go to badass ladies? I think I'm ready to badass lady. Um, who you gonna badass? It's gonna be Jessa. Okay, (laughs) okay. Um, and uh, who am I rating Jessa? I'm going to rate her the enjoyment of her ancestral home, which has been returned to her after it was basically stolen by outlaws. Yeah, I hope it's not in too bad of shape. Yeah, but it wasn't very long. It was no, only a few weeks. It, well, and Gudrun's men who were keeping it, um, they don't seem interested in like destruction i think they're pretty like brain dead they don't like, seem zombies. Bad. right exactly they just seem like yeah they're, they're just like carrying out her will so yeah. i don't think they were like smashing things and murdering cows or anything you yeah know? we'll go with that okay <laughs> <laughs> um my my badass lady is going to be kari um first of all he's a very interesting androgynous character yeah because he has a like 
young, you know, a teen boy's thin body that they mention a lot that he's like kind of lanky. Um, and then his mother's beautiful, cold face and hair. Like he has the long flowing white hair of his mother as well. Um, so I like what Kari is doing with his gender presentation, Mm -hmm. um, into it. And that's just, you know, the, the lady piece that I'm thinking of. But he is also very loving when he has no reason to be. Um, he was mistreated for a lot of his life, but then he was able to go and make a new family with Brockle. I'm worried about Brockle. I hope he thrives and yeah. is not struck down in battle um because what a what a sweet burly red-headed man I know I really like him just a real joy and when he flings open the door and says you're late Jessa the soup's cold I was like you made soup <laughs> made me soup <laughs> they don't mention what the soup is or else I would have gone, gone into detail and pretend food thank you my rating for Kari is a beautiful gallery where he can put up all the whorls and spirals that his heart desires. Mm. And he will not feel the curse of the spiral. Thank Only you. positive spirals. Thank you. So that does it for The Snowwalker's Son by Catherine Fisher. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon with another episode. Things will be a little more manageable now if you're a longtime listener you know that around the holidays things just get a little little crazy <laughs> little loopy <laughs> little loopy loop um we've been mentioning we've been mentioning the books we'll be covering next on our instagram so you can go follow us over there at dragon babies podcast um no longer on twitter go to instagram Check my stuff out. I have an art account on Instagram and also on TikTok. My handle is Pig and Doodles. That's Pig, the letter N, as in Nancy Doodles. D O O D L E S. It's a great handle. No comments. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't be commenting on my own handle. <laughs> but yeah, come come check out my stuff. I've been drawing a lot of like Baldur's Gate three character art lately, but uh, I draw all kinds of stuff. So yeah, yeah, come on along. Good stuff. We also have a Patreon, the Babetreon. You can join for $3 a month to get an extra episode every month. This month is about the princess and the goblin um, by George MacDonald. So excited to get into that very old book, the oldest one we have covered. Yeah, it's from the 1800s. (laughs) That's right, baby. (laughs) We're going back. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, farewell.